Welcome to the Bernie Ganey Show. Free speech remains on life support in Australia. We'll get to that a bit later. And of course, we award the biggest numpty of the last seven days with the Goose of the Week Award. This time it goes to an international organisation of idiots. Our society has been slowly and inexorably descending into madness. There were the little signs. Electricity prices went up after we moved to free renewable energy. And there were the biggest signs. Newspapers started printing stories about pregnant men on Mother's Day. And the Royal Australian Navy sailors began painting their fingernails pink because equality. You didn't really need to be Einstein to work out that all of this was crazy. It made no sense. It was based on lies. But because it all seemed to happen very gradually... Society in general did not seem to worry about this lunacy. Most people focused on their family and their job and their home, hoping that would all just leave them alone. And besides, at first, it was all just so insane, so ridiculous, that even opposing it publicly felt icky. Somehow, you felt like you were joining in this madness, giving it credence, and there was no way that you wanted any part of it. Then, and no one really knows how or why, the madness became compulsory. You would lose your job if you were seen to be on the wrong side of woke, a word which just appeared yesterday, and no one really seems to understand how that happened either, or even what it means. But this year, the brakes have come off. The descent into chaos has hit warp speed. A revolution against reality is underway, and no one knows anymore just what will happen next. Life as we knew it is over. We all know that. Even our relationship and expectations of governments have fundamentally changed. We used to think that we elected governments to serve our needs. That's no longer the case. Now, governments literally decide if we're even allowed to leave our homes. Whatever we thought was normal just five minutes ago has been thrown out the window. And in this environment of fear and panic, the same old thing that always happens in this environment has occurred. Whoever has the most guns and money takes action to cement their power forever. In Victoria, this happens to be Daniel Andrews and the bureaucracy which enriches itself by taxing you and sending out the police to threaten you if you dare to complain. Now, people joked in the past that Daniel Andrews is a dictator, but last week he proved it. The draconian curfew that Melburnians have been locked up under well, that was for health reasons, we were told. It would save lives, Daniel Andrews claimed. Uh, third area of change for Metropolitan Melbourne is that under those state of disaster provisions from 8pm tonight, a curfew will be uh, implemented. So there will be a curfew across Metropolitan Melbourne from 8pm this evening, and it will run from 8pm to 5am each and every day. And the only reason to be out of your home between the hours of 8pm and 5am is to get care, to give care, uh, or to go to and from work or be at work. Uh, we can no longer have people uh, visiting others. We can no longer have people simply out and about uh, for no good reason whatsoever. Uh, it is not an easy decision to make, but it is the decision that is necessary and that is why I have made it. Uh, and that's why uh, police will be out in force and you will be stopped and you will be asked and you will need to demonstrate that you are lawfully out and that you are not breaching that curfew. Going to a mate's place, uh, going and visiting friends, uh, being out and about for no good reason, all that will do is spread this virus. And therefore, 
that curfew will apply from 8pm uh, tonight. That was Daniel Andrews back on the 1st of August, telling Melburnians that it was necessary to lock them up in their homes after dark to protect them from COVID-19. But over the past week, Daniel Andrews was proven to be a liar and a man who just wants more power. Here is Victoria's Chief Health Officer, Brett Sutton, admitting last week that Melbourne's curfew has nothing to do with public health. Has the government ever introduced something without your advice or against your advice? No, not against my advice. You know, the, the curfew came in as, the, as part of the state of disaster, for example. It wasn't um, a state of emergency um, uh, requirement. Uh, so, you know, that was something that was introduced, but it wasn't something that I was against from a public health perspective. But were, you, were you consulted on it or not? Yeah, I was consulted on it, but it was a, it was a separate decision-making uh, pathway. Would you have introduced it? Uh, in public health directions? I'm not sure. I, I haven't reflected on it. Ah, that is interesting. Victoria's Chief Health Officer has not even reflected on whether a curfew is necessary, but it's still been imposed, even though everyone now knows that lockdowns have not saved a single life from coronavirus. This lockdown has nothing to do with public health. Instead, it is all about making it easier for Daniel Andrews to keep tabs on what you think. Victoria's dictator dropped all pretense last week and openly admitted this. Police then say, these are hard rules to enforce. We reckon there's a bunch of people that are out and they shouldn't be out. Uh, give us the clearest, simplest set of rules you can. And a curfew that says, unless you've got a lawful reason to be outside after 8, soon 9pm, uh, out to 5am, then you can't be, is much easier, is much easier for Victoria Police. Ah, much easier for the Victoria Police. That's what this is all about. Yet the Victorian Police claims that it didn't want or even ask for this power. The Police with you this morning. Chief Commissioner, good morning to you. Morning, Virginia. Whose decision was an 8pm curfew? Um, as far as I know, the Chief Health Officer's. It was the Chief Health Officer? As far as I'm aware, that's, it's in the Chief Health, Chief Health Officer guidelines uh, that were issued on, I think, the 2nd of August is the date. Um, and the Deputy Chief Health Officer has signed those, presumably under the direction and with the endorsement of the CHO. The Chief Health Officer has said that it, wasn't, it was nothing that he decided. This was made, made apart from him, this decision. Well, it's not for me to comment on, on what the Chief Health Officer says, Virginia, but um, the reality is um, we, from a Victoria Police perspective, enforce and support the directions that the CHO makes. The second largest city has been locked down and no one in any position of responsibility really seems to be able to explain why or how. Whatever, this confusion is normal now. It almost makes perfect sense. But now that things are much easier for the Victorian Police, just what are they using their massively increased and supposedly unwanted powers on? Murderers? Pedophiles? Drug dealers? No, no, no. Those people were criminals in the past, back when we lived in a normal world. But in today's insane world, there are much more serious criminals to address. This is a letter on Victorian police letterhead. Over the past week, it's been delivered to Victorians who like Facebook posts criticising Dan Andrews' lockdowns. Now the dictator Dan has made things easier for the Victorian police, this is what they are doing. This letter threatens Victorians with fines of up to 
$20,000 if they attend a protest or even if they are just seen to encourage protest. It states, if you breach the Chief Health Officer directions by organising or participating in a protest, you may be issued an on-the-spot fine of $1,652. If the matter goes to court, you may receive a fine of just under $20,000. It's heavy-handed stuff, but that is what Victorians must live with now. It's the latest low for a police force that can boast other epic and unethical failures including the witch hunt against Cardinal Pell and the Lawyer X Royal Commission. It's also very partisan. Last week, the Victorian police effectively gave the green light to violent left-wing mobs, the same mobs who aggressively support Dictator Dan, stating that they would not take action against the Black Lives Matter protests because it may result in arson and looting. I think the, the really significant thing to remember back then even though we said this was illegal and did not want it to go ahead, we had around the world cities that were burning, we had protests that were violent, we had people being injured, we had property being damaged, places being looted, and absolute mayhem in many societies around the world. We made a decision here that our priority was public order, and on that basis, it was going to be impossible to have a peaceful protest if we were going to try and stop 10 to 20,000 people. We had significant concerns that we would have that type of mayhem in this, in Melbourne. Ah, it's all so clear now. Black Lives Matter protesters might loot the Maya Centre. So Victorian police decided to let them march down the street in their tens of thousands in violation of the law. But normal people unhappy being locked up in their homes, aren't so willing to burn down the centre of Melbourne. They don't want to destroy society, they just want it back. They'll also probably vote against Dictator Dan, if he lets them have an election, that is. And that's just unacceptable. They must be stopped. But of course, our earlier questioner, Shane Patton, raised the the elephant in the room, which is that back when we actually had higher levels of community transmission of COVID-19, there were only two arrests made during the Black Lives Matters protests. And yet, if this protest goes ahead, and from everything I've seen, a lot of people certainly plan to take part in that, you then will be uh, far more forceful than you were back then. Do you see the contradiction? Uh it's certainly, I don't think it's a contradiction, it's a different approach and I think I've contextualised and given reasons for that approach given that I don't think anyone wanted to see Melbourne uh, burn or be damaged because of all the, the, the feeling that was in society at that time. Next time Antifa goes on a rampage in Melbourne, just remember to thank Victoria's Chief Police Commissioner Shane Patton who let them know last week that they have already intimidated the police into inaction. Don't worry though, Victoria Police supports Are You OK Day. It wants to pretend that it cares about Victorians, so on Thursday it momentarily halted its lockdown operations to start trolling Victorians online, tweeting out that Victoria Police is pleased to be supporting Are You OK Day, a nationwide campaign centred on inspiring and empowering everyone to meaningfully connect with the people around them and start conversations with people who may be struggling. The Victorian Police Twitter feed has just become a parody account. How can you meaningfully connect if you could be arrested just for leaving home? Just to show that he could not be outdone, Daniel Andrews ramped up the lunacy on the same day by announcing that the Victorian government was appointing Nikki Vincent to the role of Public Sector Gender Equality Commissioner. Apparently, that's just what we need. 
there's nothing like virtue signaling to an imprisoned society that you are interested in human rights by appointing another taxpayer-funded parasite to a role where they can hector you about how opposing lockdowns is racism or sexism or probably even both. And while all of this is going on, thousands of Victorian families have had to say goodbye to their parents and grandparents and even their children in silence. Approximately 17,000 Victorians have died since the pandemic hit. Almost all of them died for other reasons, old age, cancer, heart attacks, car accidents, suicide. Hardly any of them died with COVID-19, but no one could be with them in the aged care homes as they passed away and no one could attend their funerals. The government has all but banned funerals in Victoria and has prohibited priests from giving the last rites. Good priests have ignored this. They're now criminals too. All of this has had a massive impact on 17,000 families. Death is devastating, but being unable to be there in those last moments or to hold a funeral is a restriction that is simply intolerable. It is no way to die and it is no way to live either. Peter Mitchell is just one of those 17,000 Victorians to have died under these restrictions. His death notice was printed in The Age on the 9th of September and it sums up the way many Victorians feel about their dictator. It says, a memorial service will be held when the dictator is overthrown. Let's hope that happens very soon. COVID sanity is not just a Victorian problem. It is spread far and wide. In Queensland, for instance, it is against the law for anyone other than the bride and groom and their parents to dance at a wedding. It's all laid out in the Queensland government's wedding industry COVID safe plan. Other guests, I suppose, are just lucky they are even allowed out of home. But they certainly can't dance. That's against the law. If Uncle Albert dances with his wife of 42 years Beryl at their niece's wedding, COVID will happen. So they must be stopped. So now weddings come with the dance police. It actually happens. I know people who have been told to stop tapping to the music while they wait at the bar for a drink. Good times. But do you know what is legal in Queensland? Sex parties. That's what. The Queensland government doesn't just have insane rules for weddings. It also has a COVID-safe industry plan for sex on-premises venues and sex parties, which means that it was actually someone's taxpayer-funded job to put this crap together. And yes, apparently, this is now an industry. Fortunately, this COVID-safe plan does not come with a picture on its front cover. At least we've been spared that but it does come complete with a five-page section detailing how adult parties are supposed to operate according to government requirements. It contains all the usual stuff. You know, guests should be questioned about any sore joints they might have on arrival. Cash transactions should be limited. Food and beverages can only be consumed while seated. And buffet services are definitely not allowed. And markings should be placed on walls and floors to ensure that social distancing of 1.5 metres occurs in any queue. This document even states this. For example, if you had a room that was 160 metres square in size, you should only allow up to 40 people in the room. That is good to know when you're planning your next sex party. The Queensland government has thought long and hard about these requirements and are satisfied that if they are followed, they will prevent the spread of COVID before the government approved orgy begins. But dancing, is definitely not allowed at weddings. Go figure. Whatever the justification for this, it has all occurred because Anastasia Baby Killer Palaszczuk 
is in charge in Queensland. And she's not content with killing babies either. She's also got quite the thing for making terminal cancer patients suffer as much as they can before they die too. Mark Keynes has cancer. He is not expected to live until Christmas. It is very sad. For weeks, the baby killer's government has told him that he must choose which one of his four children is allowed across the state border to visit him before he dies. A father's dying wish to see his children has been denied with the family unable to get an exemption to cross the New South Wales-Queensland border. Today, Queensland reporter Jess Millwood has details from Brisbane. Jess, good morning to you. Talk us through this story. Good morning, Kyle. This is truly heartbreaking. Mark Keynes is a Brisbane father. He's based here at a Brisbane hospital at the moment. He's dying of cancer and he isn't expected to make it until Christmas. His four young children are based in New South Wales, so the family applied for a medical exemption for them to cr come across the border and say goodbye to their father. That has been knocked back. Instead, Queensland Health have told the family only one child can come into the state to visit Mark Keynes. The family are questioning why is that the case. They now don't know how they're going to pick just one of the children to come up and say goodbye. It is hard to imagine how any person could be so heartless, so mean. But that is Anastasia, the baby killer. That's who she is. Fortunately, public pressure has forced the Queensland government to back down on this. Mark's children are now allowed into Queensland, but it will cost them $16,000 in quarantine fees. Anastasia Palaszczuk decided to charge this man's family for quarantine costs. It is outrageous and Australians certainly agree. They chipped in to cover this in a matter of hours. But it really does make you wonder how a nation of such generous people decide to vote someone like the baby killer into power. It makes no sense. And then we have this. While Queensland will torment a man dying of cancer, it will bend over backwards to bring in the celebrities. I've given exemptions to people in entertainment and film because that's bringing a lot of money into this state. And can I say, we need every single dollar. And if it's safe, then I look at how it can be done. And whether that's the AFL, the NRL, whether it's swimming, tennis, all of the sports, cricket. Queensland under the baby killer. Some things have changed. Wedding dances are banned sex parties are allowed, and cancer patients are tormented by the Premier, but some things remain the same. Principle will be thrown out the window for a lousy dollar. Is there a link between the high numbers of COVID deaths in aged care facilities and euthanasia? Well, I don't know for sure, but it would seem logical that a society that has decided it's okay to bump off the elderly early might not be so interested in actually looking after them after all. Victoria is Australia's euthanasia capital. We all know that now. According to government statistics, 550 of the 581 Australian COVID deaths in aged care have occurred in Victoria. Victoria is also the only state in Australia to have any active COVID cases in aged care at all now. It has all 526 of them. So it seems that there might be something to this theory, and this apparent link has certainly been noticed in other areas too. Belgium has one of the highest rates of euthanasia in Europe. In 2018, almost 2,500 people were euthanised from a population of 11.5 million. That's 10 times higher a rate of euthanasia in Belgium than Victoria. It's also a snapshot into Victoria's future. Belgium also has, interestingly, by far the highest death rate from COVID-19 in Europe. 
half of its nearly 10,000 deaths occurred in aged care homes. The New York Times has reported that this was because aged care patients were refused treatment in hospitals, even though there were beds available. That sounds a lot like this massive death rate occurred because attitudes towards the elderly brought in by euthanasia had infected the medical system. And Canadian commentator Ezra Levant has also noticed that deaths in Canadian aged care facilities have overwhelmingly occurred in locations where euthanasia occurs. Quebec has Canada's most liberal abortion and euthanasia laws. According to Ezra Levant, it also accounts for 63% of COVID deaths in Canada, even though it only has 24% of Canada's population, and that its death rate closely mirrors Belgium's death rate uh, per capita. Why? Well, Ezra Levant says it's not surprising. The providence of Quebec has simply used COVID-19 as an excuse to get rid of a bunch of grandparents that no one cares about anymore. I fear that he's correct. News broke last week that the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine trials had been suspended. A patient who had taken the vaccine developed neurological symptoms associated with a rare spinal inflammatory disorder. That's hardly likely to fill Australians with confidence in this program. Nor is the fact that this vaccine was developed using cell lines taken from an aborted baby. The ABC was busy playing down this concern. Its science editor, Jonathan Webb, penned an article claiming that this wasn't a surprise. He wrote that clinical trials frequently drag on for years and endure plenty of hiccups. In fact, for new vaccines, 9 out of 10 trials ultimately fail. Well, thanks to Jonathan Webb, there goes my confidence in this program. If 9 out of 10 vaccines fail and they take years to produce, you have no chance of getting me to take this vaccine mere months after it first was developed. It just won't happen. And I predict that the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, is going to have to eat these words. Um, key question, one to pin it before you get to the detail, would you be prepared to make it uh, vaccination mandatory? But certainly, we've got to get about 95%. And so we'd be applying that, that as... Well, I'll take a medical advice. That's the obvious answer to that, Neil. But that's what I would be expecting. You would expect it to be mandatory? I would expect it to be as, as mandatory as you can possibly make it. There. I hope a vaccine is produced for COVID-19, but I'm not going to risk my life or my children's life for it. Nor am I going to endorse a program that started with an aborted baby. Free speech in Australia has taken yet another hit. In fact, it's taken such a pounding over the past few years that one really must question whether it is even still alive in this nation. During the week, the Australian Capital Territory's human rights system decided that a Canberran woman, Beth Rep, must pay a transgender activist $10,000 for comments that were posted on her Facebook page, some of which she liked. These comments included statements that the activist, Bridget Clinch, who I'm embarrassed to report was also the first army officer to change gender, was a male bully. Now, I don't know Clinch, so I cannot comment on that, but Clinch does encourage progressives to get militant and supports the rioting in America. So Bridget Clinch is probably not like the little old lady next door. Of note, this case is one where the woke meter was certainly used. Beth Rep describes herself as a radical feminist, she stated that she supports gender non-conformity, whatever that means, but it was not enough to save her. Being woke, as we should all know by now, is never enough. No one is ever woke enough. Interestingly, 
Bridget Clinch's Facebook page expresses support for laws passed in Canberra recently requiring truth in political advertising. I could not agree with that principle more. We do need truth. The sooner we can end the farcical charade of pretending that a man can become a woman, the better off we will all be. In the meantime, I suppose we should just get used to seeing more of this. This is a clip of a transgender activist from the United States. Excuse me, sir, there's a young man in here. And you watch Excuse me, it's ma'am. It is ma'am. I can call the police if you'd like me to. You need to settle down. You need to settle down and mind your business, okay? Ma'am, once again, ma'am. I said both of you. No, you said sir. Once again, it's ma'am. I actually said both of you guys. It was a general. Right beforehand, you f***ing said sir. Sir? Okay. Take it outside. If you want to call me sir again, I will show you sir. I apologize. Whatever the definition of a male bully is, that dude in the clip nails it. I'm just not sure whether we can even say it anymore. Last week, the Archbishop of Brisbane, Mark Coleridge, held a little shindig in St. Stephen's Cathedral. He invited the state's politicians along to outline his views on the upcoming Queensland election. You would think his speech may have contained some fire and brimstone. After all, Mark Coleridge is a bishop and Anastasia Babykiller Palaszczuk pretends to be Catholic for votes while legalising abortion and commencing the process to legalise euthanasia. Yet a bigger snooze fest you could not find. Anastasia Palaszczuk probably realised it would be just that and did not even bother turning up. She sent her minister minions along instead. She did, however, the very next day rush through legislation forcing priests to act as state informants and break the seal of the confessional. And Coleridge, well, he didn't mention abortion or euthanasia at all. He did say this though. We don't think we can or should tell people how to vote. And with those words, Archbishop Coleridge declared himself to be the most irrelevant and pointless person in Queensland. He is useless and the sooner he is no longer Archbishop Brisbane, the better for the rest of us. Whatever he is doing, it is certainly not helping. And he has no courage. Someone who does have courage, however, is the One Nation MP for Morani, Steve Andrew. Although Steve Andrew is not Catholic, he was the only Queensland politician with the courage to defend the seal of the confessional during this week, pointing out that the attack on it would also lead to attacks on all other forms of legal privilege and confidentiality and undermine our legal and democratic principles. Steve Andrew, on behalf of all Catholics, I thank you for your courage. It's that time again. Goose of the week. This week's winner goes to the United Nations, of course. During the week, it tweeted out that the COVID-19 pandemic is demonstrating what we all know. Millennia of patriarchy have resulted in a male-dominated world with a male-dominated culture which damages everyone. Women, men, girls and boys. Of course. Whenever I think of COVID-19, I think of the evil patriarchy. Actually, maybe the UN does have a point. Whenever COVID is mentioned, most Australians immediately picture Dan Andrews and recoil in horror. He, if anybody, is the definition of the male patriarchy in action. Anyway, for its shameless ability to use a concocted COVID crisis to raise the evils of masculinity, the UN is this week's winner. It's the Goose of the Week. Give it a round of applause.
For those of you who have been following my trails over the past few years, I'm very happy to report that the last complaint lodged against me by homosexual activist and anti-free speech campaigner Gary Burns was declined by the New South Wales Anti-Discrimination Board uh, on Friday. This is good news. Uh, unfortunately, it wasn't declined because it was a waste of time. It was declined because it was yet another complaint that Burns lodged and then decided to withdraw himself. But uh, it is good news nonetheless. I'll be sending out an email to my list uh, early next week with the latest updates. Now, stay tuned to Good Source News. There is plenty of content online for you to watch. Uh, you've got the Korean Barraclough Show every Monday uh, talking about the attack on men. You've got the James McPherson Show if you want to laugh, and there's plenty of other content up there as well. Stay tuned, and if you can, please support Good Source News because we can't produce this content without your assistance. The Bernard Gaynor Show is a production of The Good Source, hosted by Bernard Gaynor. To watch, listen to, or read more content without the SJWPC fact filter, visit goodsource.news. Good, S-A-U-C-E dot news. Become a Good Source supporter for exclusive access to live and unedited interview recordings, including the conversations before and after the show.